0: Anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there. And you can rent out my house. You send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day.
1: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host Bo Martonic.
0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt Podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Jared Prussia of the Hunter Podcast and Whitetail Properties. We discuss the controversial inner workings of advertising in the hunting industry, purposefully hunting big buck states, Jared's first experience hunting the big woods of Pennsylvania with Steve Shirk, and much more. If you haven't listened to the Hunter Podcast before, those guys, Jeremy and Jared, are great at interviewing, and they really tackle some controversial topics, which I, uh, I, very, I commend them on doing that and not worrying about any of the backlash. They just talk what they think about, and uh, I, I really enjoy that. So I think you'll like this episode. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have another story coming out of Virginia from Charlie Hage. Charlie wrote in. I've hunted the National Forest in southwestern Virginia since I was about 12 years old. We do a deer camp every year with my dad and a few friends. This year I had some vacation time saved up, so I took a few weeks off in late October and November. November 16th was the first day of our deer camp, but it was my fourth week straight of hunting Wednesday to Sunday, taking Monday and Tuesday off to work. The rut exhaustion was starting to set in. The plan was... Everyone was going to load up in the morning and get to camp around midday. I wanted to hunt the morning, so I loaded the truck the night before and headed out at 4 a.m. to make the hour and a half drive to my hunting location. The area I planned on going was only accessible from the Blue Ridge Parkway. When I arrived at the gate, it was locked. I only had about 30 minutes before first light with no idea where I was going to hunt. After contemplating different options for a few minutes, A spot popped up in the back of my mind that I hadn't been to since the 2020 season. I decided to wing it. I backtracked down the mountain and backed up another and arrived at the trailhead right about first light. The spot I was heading to was a small micro bench on the side of a steep slope with laurel thickets on both sides. I took my time getting in. The ground was frozen and crunchy. I arrived at the spot at about 8 a.m. 11 a.m. rolled around and I hadn't seen anything. So I decided to hit the horns together. I remember something that I heard on your podcast from Zach Fehrenbaugh. He was talking about hearing a real buck fight. He was saying how you can't really hear the antlers over the ground noise they are making. That's what I was going to try and do. The noise of brush busting, leaves flying, and rocks rolling down the mountain echoed through the timber. I sat back down and got ready. About five minutes later, I caught movement coming out of the laurel thicket about 50 yards away. I caught a glimpse of a large main beam and knew it was a good buck. He was coming straight at me, ready for a fight. I swung my muzzleloader up and rested it on my shooting stick. I put the crosshairs right in the crease between his shoulder and neck and let it rip. I immediately called my dad and friends. Once the initial excitement wore off, it dawned on me. How am I going to get this thing out of here? I couldn't get him out the way I came in. It was too steep. I called my dad. That and said I was going to debone him and pack him out. But he was adamant that we have this beast of a mountain buck hanging in camp. There was a logging road about a half mile down from where I, was, where I was that I looped around the mountain. So I elected to drag him to that from where I hit the logging road to the truck was just over three miles with a gradual uphill drag almost the entire way. Luckily, my buddies left right as they got the call and met me on the trail with the sled. It still sucked. We got back to the truck right at dark. A day in the mountains I will never forget. And thank you for everything with the podcast. It has helped me a lot over the last few years. Well, Charlie, that is a a pretty awesome story, and I I get amazed every week at some of these stories that come in. People willing to go in deep and and really work at it to to be able to find these deer. I mean this deer is something special for virginia and really anywhere in the the fact that you know you hunted that many weeks straight as much time as you could going back to work and doing that just shows that again hard work and persistence pays off so congrats again charlie if anybody wants to check out the photos of this deer head over to east meets west hunt on instagram or east meets west outdoors on facebook and uh, check that out if you want to send in your mountain buck monday submission send it via email to Bo at east meets west hunt.com just a short paragraph or two and uh some photos along with it really appreciate uh, all the submissions that we continue to get that come in and love sharing them on the podcast so uh, I'm recording this ahead of time, so um, just I'm leaving now for Total Archery Challenge, which by the time this comes out would have already happened in Seven Springs. Um, so I'll have a little update on that. I'm sure I'll be doing some podcasts there, um, so th- I'll have an update on that next week. And uh, other than that, uh, I just want to say thanks everyone for listening again. And as always, if you would uh, leave a rating or review on the podcast wherever you listen to it and uh share it with your friends, family, anybody you think that would that it could help out or would enjoy it. And uh so if you find value in it, that's all I ask is is be able to share that stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really really do uh, appreciate it. So, all right, with that being said, I hope everyone has a great rest of your week. We are rolling. Jared Prussia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, it's good to, it's good to get to talk to you finally. It's we um I feel like I've said this with other guests before too, but we we've been trying to schedule this for going on 9 or 10 months it seems like. And then we talk like and then we'll just kind of forget like oh, we we're supposed to schedule a podcast. Go back and forth and and uh so I'm glad that we were able to to link up here kind of in the middle of the week, so.
1: <laughs> it's funny being on the on the other side of it, dude, cuz you know, <clears throat> so with with our, you know, Hunter podcast, we uh, it, it's, it seems like it should be, you know, it's our priority, right? It's like, well, we're going to schedule boom, boom, boom. And uh, it's funny to be on <clears throat> the receiving side of the invite. It's like, wow, I've got, you know, I've got my schedule and I've got to work around this and that. Yeah. And so uh, you really do have to make an effort to to prioritize it. And, uh, you know, f- for you, I was you know, happy, happy to do it.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. I, I appreciate that. And so you, so you have the the Hunter podcast, which I've, I've been a guest on now uh, once or twice. I don't remember. I think it was just once, but been a guest on there last fall and got to talk to you guys. And I absolutely love your guys' show. Um, it's the most interactive video podcast out there, and you guys kind of paved the way and even opened my eyes to the world of doing video podcasts and trying to increase the the quality of production. So I've really enjoyed that. And then you also uh, work for Whitetail Properties as well. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate
1: the, the kind words on the podcast there too, man. It, do- it doesn't really seem like we did anything, you know, too innovative. There was obviously, uh, you know, your Rogans, you know, so there were some other big mainstream influences that were way before us, um, you know, but in a sense of applying it like to the outdoor industry, it it, de- it did definitely seem at the time that we started doing it, it was kind of like, dude, why is nobody doing this? Um yeah. Like there's there, just in the sense that there seems to be so much of, uh, you know, there was such a stereotypical approach to uh, like being in the outdoor industry or like being a, a content producer or like a pro staffer, uh, all these things that like, you know, are essentially d- dirty words in, in today's day and age. Um, you know, and we, we kind of went down that uh, route, you know, for a short period of time. And we can get into that a little bit if you want, but yeah. Um, ultimately for the sake of uh Jer- Jeremy and my partner and I's uh love of hunting and and uh, the, you know the sanctity that is the hunting season and the freedom that we have during that time um we were just not going to do it you know I wasn't going to give up uh focus in the tree or or time or convenience with like just being as deadly as we can be during those 3 or 4 months and so the podcast was like our opportunity to like default and still like you know have a have a presence uh, contribute um, to the industry that we we care a lot about um without it, i think inhibiting uh, you know us doing what we love, which is to to bow hunt whiteel deer right and 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 branching out from there so
0: yeah and it, it's it's funny you say that because you know similarly that's a reason why like i've done some hunting films and some of filming hunts, but I make sure that that's not a priority, and that's not what I want to put out there because for me it does take away a little bit from that experience in the hunting of like doing the traditional route of filming hunts and putting out, you know, that type of content where like the podcast allows me to make it feel like you're hanging out with buddies, talking about information, be able to, you know, have helpful information, hopefully for the people listening and be able to to do that based off of the experiences you have while you're out in the field. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And, how long? How long have you been? Uh, how, how long have you guys been doing? You and Jeremy have been doing the the podcast now.
1: Uh, I want to say we're, we we've elapsed two years of uh, con- consistent one, one a week. Uh, we've had we've had a few. Uh, you know, we have kind of a sub series, the, the I Bought a Farm series, and there's been a, a couple weeks where we did doubles. Um, I, I think we've put out like 130 or so episodes, which you know compared to. Um, the library that you look at, uh, like I mentioned earlier, like a robe or somebody who's done thousands of podcasts, it's just, dude, it's, it's hard to conceive. Um, yeah. you know, but the reality is if let's say we did 130 of them at an hour and a half on average, maybe two hours uh, a piece, you know, that's like 245, 260 hours that Jeremy and I sat at that table, uh, and talked about deer hunting, you know, or, or related topics and stuff. And it's, it's, it never gets old. It's, it's, it's funny, and my wife will would make fun of me if she was here because she knows I just like to to yap and to talk and like I'm a people person, right? And it plays into our podcast and our real estate business. And um, you know, I just it never gets old, dude. I could sit there and just talk about like the nuances of deer hunting and everything that relates to it, um, like forever. If if I could do, uh, <laughs> if I could do it every day, if I could do two a day, like we, we probably would. It's just you know we have other. Um, you know, other businesses to run and, uh, you know, family, family commitments, you know, things, things to actually do,
0: but, uh, no, we, we love it. So. Yeah. And, and I liked, I've also liked it, the different approach that you have, like with your podcast is very distinguishable from the standpoint of like, you're not afraid to kind of tackle whatever topics like I feel like a lot of podcasts steer away from controversial things or things that are you know kind yeah. of like ah, should we talk about that or not and and you guys are just kind of like an open book as far as like just talking about all of those things giving your opinion whether people agree with them or not I think where the value comes is like you're you're being honest and giving that transparency and that uh, to be able to talk about some of those hard things and in my opinion, I, that was what makes it entertaining and great, like to to be able to have it and have an actual impact.
1: Yeah, I mean that's like the secret. If, if there was a, a secret sauce, it's just um, you know be, be transparent um, because the industry is so full of like non transparency, right? I think it's like. Uh, over, you know, and since background on, on me, is like not, to, not to go too far back, but, uh, so, so Jeremy Flynn, who is my partner on the podcast now, and also my business partner in, in Whitetail Properties, uh, was my boss for about seven or eight years, um, at a company called Stone Road Media. And he hired me right out of college, um, kind of through some, some mutual connections. It, it was actually, Bill Winky was the, the mutual connection, uh, via an internship that I had applied for. And, um, So I, I worked for Jeremy in the outdoor space doing like hunting and, and, and fishing, shooting digital marketing. Um, and, and, you know, I kind of rose to a role of, uh, you know, the VP of marketing for his company. Uh, we had, I think at the most, um, you know, we had probably 15 or 20 employees with, I don't know, 30 or 35, uh, you know, big clients that a lot of people would recognize, um, you know some of which are obviously still still friends and, and partners of ours today through our, our current endeavors but uh you know th- through that experience uh working with jeremy in the industry and just uh kind of seeing uh behind the the curtain so to speak of like how all of these relationships happen in, in forms of sponsorships of like monies that get exchanged to uh to and from you know manufacturers essentially who are your you know uh those are the sponsors those are people that control the marketing budgets to content producers or, uh, you know, pro staff members, whatever it is. Um, it's just, man, there's just like a lot of, uh, uh, the, the way I saw it was kind of like, um, Oh, sa- sacrifice is not the word, but, um, uh, you know, willingness to promote, you know, products that maybe aren't necessarily your first choice. So, and, and it doesn't mean that they're like, they're bad products right but it's just the chances of you having a favorite thing like say, you know let's say uh hoyt bows is is a partner of ours right today with the podcast like and and there's only a handful of like really notable bow companies so i guess the odds are greater but like what are the chances that um you know we we would have a favorite bow a favorite setup something we we really believe in uh, a company that you know we uh You know, think is doing it right. You know, all these things that that make us want to be a part or or have some kind of partnership with them. What are the chances of a company like that wanting to partner with us? You know, amongst all of the people out there asking for sponsorship dollars. I mean, there must be thousands of people who write. Uh, you know, Hoyt marketing uh, asking, asking for some sort of free product or discounts or partnerships. So like just the chances of, of aligning. So, so and take that example and apply it to every other avenue of like a potential sponsorship income, right? Releases, arrows, um, you know, camo, blinds, tree stands, like the, you know, boots, the list goes on. You could, you could cover every single category where you could potentially bring money in via sponsorship and think about the chances of those top tier companies, like the ones that you really believe in and, and ha- maybe you're using their products already, the chance that they would want to also partner with you and, and you would strike a, a, a successful partnership. It's like, man, yeah. I think we're pretty lucky just to have Hoyt, like one of what, however many, t- 10 or 15 different uh, you know categories that we use. So I, I think that uh, just kind of seeing behind the curtain and, and seeing so many guys in our positions who, not necessarily to any fault of their own, you know, felt forced or like you know, the running a business at the end of the day, ultimately took on sponsors and pushed products that like we all know are, you know, our shit and, and, and they yeah. do too. Right. And it's just uh, I really got a distaste for that, you know, through my time in the industry. And I've since left, left that company uh, working for Jeremy uh, so that he and I could start uh, our whitetail properties business together. And uh, don't get me wrong, there's lots of great people and great partnerships that happen in the outdoor industry. Um, But it's a small, it's a small fraction compared to, you know, those, those people who are out there pushing products just because, just because.
0: Yeah, you, you know, that's, it's funny. And I don't think I've talked about it on here at all before. But like, it's been something that from the very beginning, I I like good gear, and I like gear that I know is going to work. And like I've I've put it to a I've made it a point, even when now that I do this as a full time living, of making sure that like my my priorities come first before you know the money the money side of it, and that's hard. Like that, don't get me wrong, like, that's extremely extremely hard. For example, this is what I was going to give an example of. I think it was like 2 years ago, I had been reached out to by Mountain Dew and uh <laughs> about doing a what? partnership and they were like well, you want they, they wanted like two social media posts and some other things and they're like what they're like what what would your rate be for that? And they asked me and I was like kind of joking about it and I just sent them back like an extremely extremely high number and they accepted it and I was like
1: mm.
0: whoa and it was, I, at that point I was like, obviously I wasn't going to take it because it was something that I believe in like fitness and healthy living, like definitely not the right fit. But I was like, and then I saw a lot of other people take that like that route. It? Um, so for two social media posts, I believe it was like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I'll say it anyways. It was like six grand, 6,500 for two posts. Okay. Um, but for like a week or two posts, like uh, in, in,
1: totality. in totality. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, I mean, dude, what what happens is like you know they get a marketing budget, like they have a quarterly marketing budget. Yeah. And say Hey, you know, intern ABC, go out and align ourselves with uh, uh, you know content producers ABC. Uh, in, in x industries and, and go out and just you know spend this budget right and they don't know they're coming from a mainstream especially like Mountain Dew you yeah. know they're, they're ready to spend six grand that's that's nothing they're
0: like that's just, nothing like, this yeah to me I was like grand. that was a big deal
1: <laughs> there's a podcast out there somewhere where, uh, where Mountain Dew's in social media intern is like yeah, this idiot was gonna do it for six grand <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, oh, I know. And, and it's, but it was just like, and especially at that time, like my platforms are smaller and everything. And it was like, okay, that's, that's a I lot of it, money. Yeah. And like, I was like trying to make the transition. And I, I had to ha- have that thought with myself of like, okay, like I, this is where, this is one of those hard things that are going to come up where you could take easy money. But what you lose is that, that trust in the people that are listening to you when you talk about gear and do whatever. And, and, and for me, I've, I've been very, very lucky that I've been able to work with the companies that I want to work with. And there's been some that have dropped off because they wanted me to use a certain product in their line. I like their other products, but they wanted this one. And I said, no, and it ended up, resolving the, the partnership and, and that's okay. You know, that's what it is. I'm not going to lie and say like, I want to use this product because I think it's the, the best thing in the world when it's really, in my opinion, it at least doesn't work for me or I don't want it. I don't want it to work for me and that's just the the nature of the beast
1: well dude and and it gets to a point here where it's like it's almost impossible like you know look back 10 15 years ago it was doable because you know uh you know these companies were were individually owned and they only had like one product category that they were really good at like qad had drop away and they still i don't well they might have been bought by somebody but like whoever i'm just using an example like this boot company made boots and they wanted to sponsor you so that you would wear their boots yeah. Now it's like the entire industry is owned by like a, you know, giant conglomerates that have like at least five, you know, five, 10, 15, in some cases, 30 or 40 brands like in their portfolio. And if they're sponsoring you on one, like they, you know, they want you to, uh, you know, to, to cover X, Y, Z. And it's just like, dude, I, you know, how could you ever, first of all, from a content producer standpoint, like all of your eggs are in one basket in that case, which is financially risky. Um, yeah. But also it just makes it tough to say no. Cause it's like, well, are they going to cut my sponsorships for these other three brands? If I don't want to do this other one that I'm not necessarily a fan of. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, dude, it's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird landscape right now. And it has been for the past couple of years, as far as like, uh, you know, somebody trying to run a business in the content production space within the outdoor industry it's it's weird Uh, you know to to shine the light like on on our side of things we we do have some partners like i mentioned um you know hoyt is a partner of us they they pay us a little bit of money and they send us bows and like we're fortunate to be able to accept that because like we we were already shooting those bows we really believe that brand. we really like that company um from a business standpoint like we see some opportunities to, to help our help them and align ourselves with them um you know, and, and we have a few other other partners as well that uh, really the, the primary contingency on accepting those is that uh, we we just do what we want. Like we're not going to change our conversation in the podcast. We're not going to do specific mentions like, you know, we have some commercials on our podcast just, you know, to, to guarantee them some placement. Um, but, but really, you know, Jeremy and I's motive for doing the podcast is not to, to make money, uh, while it would be nice to, uh, and it does for the time being, you know, it's just, it's financially sustainable, uh, right. We can pay Nick, our producer to, you know, sit with us and, and produce the podcast. And like, I don't know, we we can buy some tags every once in a while. Like it's, but, but it's not much, you know, compared to our primary businesses. So we really enjoy that freedom of, of free speech, right. That, that, uh, is what makes the podcast successful in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and and one thing like I know that the way I've tried to structure it is like podcast ads, people are used to having ads come in. So if it's a company I want to work with and they come to an ad, like a a hard sell of an ad, like that's a specific ad is in my opinion, acceptable. Like when I when I watch, you know, if I'm sure. watching Netflix or I'm watching Hulu, whatever that, and there's an ad that comes up, I expect there to be an ad there. And that's the way that it is. And I'm expecting to be sold on something, mm-hmm. you know? But in, in conversation like you and I are having right here, pushing like trying to d- change the conversation to be around something specific, forcing it doesn't feel right. And I've been lucky that, you know, the, the companies that I work with don't ask for that. You know, it's like if if you're talking about, say, for example, if you're talking about bows and yeah, obviously that I'm shooting a prime bow, then that's going to be mentioned, but it's not going to be like this, this forceful thing where I'm going to make up this big story about, you know, that I went in and and uh, you know I, I went into the bow shop every single year and I shot every single bow that was there and this one was just so much faster and so much and just like create this story around it. It's like I use this bow back in the day in 2017 when I worked at an archery shop. I shot all the bows. I liked this one. I've liked the brand and I've continued to use it since. I like the people behind it and like it's a more organic story to it versus just like forcing. Well, it's truthful. Yeah, it's truthful. Yeah. Like-
1: it's not, a hard, it's not a hard sell. And I understand what you're saying, like the difference between a commercial and like organic conversation. Like, do people know? Yeah. And as as, fun, as like straightforward as that sounds, like that's where we're coming from. Like, you know, all the TV shows not long ago was less, you know, uh, and then maybe Hoyt, Hoyt even was a part of that. But like all, all these other brands at one time, you didn't shoot with your bow. You sh- I shot it with my Hoyt and my ScentLock and my you know, my, whatever, you know, you run down a list. It's like, they didn't even call it by what the thing was. Like they were just trying to assign it by the, the name brand. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't like that. It, it became, um, it became, uh, like, like the main thing. That's all, that's all people were doing was selling people on. Pro- I mean, dude, there's entire shows that exist to promote specific brands. Like that's, yeah. that's the sole point of it. And, and everything gets tied back to it. Dude, the freaking, uh, the black rack is, is a great, ex- and I don't know those guys at all. Probably great guys, obviously good deer hunters. They kill a lot of stuff. I can't re- remember what the name of the show is, but, uh, moon guide, another one. I think there's a show like about them, you know, it's like the, these shows and I understand why they did it. It's like the, the whole, it was an extension of the business to like, Hey, yeah, you want to produce content to promote this product. And it is what it is. So, I mean, I don't, uh, it's not like, it's not like they're trying to be something that, 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 or, or hide that fact necessarily. Yeah. It's like, dude, the entire point of that show is to promote this product period, like period, you know? And yep. it's like, Oh, with the black record, I did this with my grunt extinguisher thing. And then they, and then that company starts coming out with more products. Oh, I have this, the phase, whatever, you know? And I'm not saying even that stuff doesn't work. It, it very well might. Yeah. you know, That style of marketing is just like, uh, I don't think it's, it's, necessarily good for the industry i don't think it's it's like it's a a truthful organic approach you know from a an unbiased opinion
0: um you know as long as you can you can know it when you see it yeah and yeah yeah you're 100 but i think like our generation is different than like the you know even the generation before us and everything as far as like how they accepted stuff you know marketing. Yeah. Like, we don't. Yeah. yeah, we don't want that stuff to be shoved down our throats in a in a in a way that's like obvious. That okay, this person is you know just drinking Mountain Dew and like they're not traditionally doing that in a tree stand all the time. Maybe, maybe they are, but you know what I mean. Like there's like certain things that just feel super forced whereas like I don't know I'm and I'm not saying that I'm like this perfect human and my philosophy is correct because it's definitely not but it's like I've just looked at it's like what do I use to make my job easier or better and I would like to align with those companies because like make I do make an income from this so like there there has to be some sort of a business aspect to it and and yeah, I mean, I I envy like you know you guys as far as like with with your podcast, you have this platform, you know, where you have the free speech and you're able to talk about whatever and don't rely on that income because I mean that that podcast is also I'm sure helping you drive business to your other business, you know, with whitetail properties sure. and sure. and being able to utilize that and I think that's a great way of being able to do it and there's not like it's very rare when I listen to you guys' show that it's like you aren't saying like you know, come check me out at whitetail properties, but it's known that you work for whitetail properties and it's known from the conversations that you're knowledgeable about properties, about deer hunting. You talk to a lot of successful people. Like it's just, it's a very natural flow of helping the businesses out. Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? all you can with cyber scout from spartan forge cyber scout is like the chat gpt for outdoors men and women you can ask it any questions related to bow building scouting hunting survival and a whole lot more i think you'll be impressed with how it responds cyber scout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon the entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with credible aerial imagery, mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20% and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S. and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com CVA. If you use the code EastMeetsWest10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories.
1: Yeah. Well, dude, if I'm being honest, like there, there's no, there's zero thought that goes into it. Like, I, you know, <laughs> and I know we've had jana at least one time, if not a couple of times, but like, I've had people ask me for like, what do you want to talk about? And I'm like, no, like if we, if we try to think about it beforehand, like it, it'll ruin it. I just want to I just want to like, for people we've never talked to before, it's just like, Hey, I just want to get to know you, uh, and allow people to experience that conversation as organically as possible. I know we have shared mutual interests, at least in the form of deer hunting and probably some more will, uh, you know, unveil themselves throughout the conversation, but, um, that's it. There's no like, Hey, I want to make sure that we cover, you know, unless they're, they have a very specific study that like they're notable for and, and, or, or whatever, but, um, yeah, there, there's no pre-planning that goes into it. It's um, it's it's a free-flowing conversation, and we don't edit it. I mean, it's the thing. It's, they're not live, but like, and dude, we've caught some flack for one. Dude, probably you know half of your listeners, if not more, they'd be like, oh, that's the guy from uh, you know the Eberhardt podcast, or that you know that Higgins got pissed off about. It's funny, like when I watch our analytics, because you know all of our podcasts are on YouTube, so people aren't necessarily just watching the most recent one that they watch you know, ones that have happened in the past. so we have like some, some highest viewed podcasts and strangely enough, I think it's so funny. I think that, that, uh, John Eberhardt podcast is one of them. Um, because somebody got upset about what he said about, uh, pri- I think private land hunters, And he named a few of them specifically. It was like, he ran down through a list. He's like, uh, John Higgins, Andre Dequisto, whoever there was, there's somebody, you know, just your, your classic, uh, private land guys, you know? And cause John's, John's like, uh, I don't know if he's public land only, but he's, he's permission only. And he doesn't do, I don't think he does any, uh, like land management stuff. It's just not his thing at all. Like, yeah. you know, dude, you and I are the age that like our uncles were that guy, you know, that it was just like, Hey, I used to be able to hunt everywhere. There were no property lines. There was no food plots, There was no baiting. It was just, you know, we got permission to hunt and we killed the biggest buck that we could. And, um, the guys that were doing it with bows were like legends, right? Like my uncle killed a 160 some inch, uh, you know, three-year-old with his bow up in Crawford County, Pennsylvania, uh, in the, I don't know, eighties or nineties. Oh, really? Eighties or nineties. And he was like a legend. Like it might've been a, in a newspaper, you know? But anyways, <laughs> uh, so so anyways, that Eva Hart podcast is like, uh, it like hot And then Higgins was like, oh, well. You know the Hunter Podcast guys. You know are are talking shit on us, and I was like, obviously we weren't. Like you know, it's just a conversation. And we've had Don on as well. Um, but I for, I forget what the, the the main point of that story was. But I think it's it's funny how people claim to to certain stuff like that.
0: Yeah, or but like about the not editing part is what you're getting oh, at yeah, with yeah, that, yeah. and you so, just leave it all in there.
1: Well, and dude, that one honestly, we it's not even like I watch it. We don't watch them back before we publish them. Nick Nick watches it, and he you know he publishes it, and uh. It was funny, so afterwards I you know, and I don't typically read the comments either it's just it is what it is it's out there and it's fine um but uh, some people texted me directly and they were like dude you you should probably do some damage control on this one and I was like, uh, for what like what what do you mean and i and I watched the podcast back and I was like mm-hmm. seemed seemed pretty straightforward to me like you know I, I didn't find it extremely offensive I thought we had a perfectly fair conversation and uh th- the truth is. Probably, probably most of the people that were offended by it didn't watch it either. You know, they kind of heard from somebody and they they got the gist and are like, oh well, I'm I'm on Don's side or I'm on uh, John's side. On John's side, right? And, and so people choose sides and it's like it's just so dumb. It's like we're you know we're we're trying to have a conversation with with anybody and everybody and like truthfully since then you know we, we've extended some invitations to, to come back on and it's like you know
0: pe- people get hurt feelings and are butthurt and. Well, and I mean, not, it doesn't not, help. <laughs> it it doesn't it doesn't help with like the the egos, and that. they're just
1: such huge egos. And these guys are running businesses, and it's like I, I get it, man. Like, yeah, you, you know, you have to present yourself as the best deer hunter in the world, and that's how you make myself. So, I mean,
0: yeah, no, the, you're 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 spot on. And, and John Eberhart, uh, I've had him on here before, and I've spent time around John at He's shows great. and stuff. He's great,
1: and dude, both he, of those guys, have yeah. Admirable qualities, and John is will be the first to admit to you. Like he's he's an ornery old son of a bitch. Like, and he will yeah. speak his mind, and, and but and he'll at the same breath go back. Well, yeah, you know, you're pro- you're probably right. I was wrong. You're fine. That's right.
0: You know? Yeah, and and he doesn't uh, he. The the one thing I really really appreciate about John is that you'll never hear something come out of his mouth that he doesn't think or be- believe. Like he's he's a straight shooter. Whatever he thinks, whether you b- agree with it or not, you have to you have to admire the fact that he just says whatever's on his mind at all times. <laughs> yeah, I pressed him a few times on the scent lock thing. Uh you know, and I respectfully don't believe that
1: it's possible. Like you know, he's yeah. But I think it's one of those, and he he might, dude. He'll take it to his grave. I'll give him that. Um, you know, he, he's, he's got, you know, novels, like, like whatever, 24-page documents of, like, how to treat scent lock and how it is the, the superior uh, garment and how the, you know, the, uh, whatever the te- technology is in there. Like, he 100% believes that he does not get smelled by deer anymore. And uh, that's fine. Uh, you'd have more power to him. Like, I just, I can't, I, in my mind, I can't. I can't believe it. I just I yeah. don't think it's true, um, but you know it's fine. We, we disagree, like you know, respectfully disagree, and it's not
0: like uh, you know that has to to be the end of the the friendship or the relationship, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you're spot on. But what what the other thing point I was going to make on that is it doesn't help with things like TikTok and Instagram where you have oh, a short yeah. sixty second clip that goes out and nobody ever looks to the behind you know the behind the scenes of it and a lot of the times the point the point of those clips is to give a piece of information that makes somebody want to listen to the full length episode right right. watch it like that's that's the point of it but i've i've seen it like there was a last last year i did a podcast with chris b and we were talking about archery stuff and chris said chris is also very he believes in his ways of things and he's has the Knowledge and success to back it up, you know, but he was big on like he thinks people worry too much about f o c you know with arrows, and uh it was he put a point in there, and I cut it up into a clip that said right. that's that another where, one, yeah people where he
1: all up in arms about the if you mention broadheads or like you know these couple things it's just like you're left or you're right. And it's just like, people will go to their grades with it. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. And he had said that he's like, all he said was, I don't think FOCs is important as people make it out to be when they should be focusing on practicing and being a better shot. And there he's like, he was basically saying in the rank of things, he has it lower, not saying like, it doesn't matter at all or whatever. And oh my gosh it was like that video is still blowing up on my on my youtube as far as getting traction it was a short from like last year and like on tiktok and it was just blowing up and people were just you know commenting all these things on it and not understanding the whole conversation
1: ours was the crossbow one i think ben rising made a comment about like uh and 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 uh one that honestly we were in support of was you know he made a comment about uh you know, his view on, on, uh, you know, crossbows and how they, you know, h- how a season should be treated for them. And basically it was to the effect that like, Hey, it's, you know, there's a time and place it's for, you know, disabled, elderly, new hunters type of a deal, but not in, in the primary archery season. And, uh, I mean, dude, you look at, uh, I think it was the state of Ohio, like 70 plus percent of their archery harvest is crossbow hunters. You know, it's, it's, we're, we're a minority at this point, you know? and that's fine. It's not like it's us and them. It's just, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's perfectly okay to have opinions on how those, uh, technologies should be incorporated into different seasons. Cause they're clearly, uh, different weapons, uh, as yeah. is a, a rifle and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, yeah, do they, people did not like that. Um, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I'm not, uh, like, you know, it, and it stems from like, you know, it's not our primary business. So it's not like, uh, in the sense that like, this is our, our main source of revenue is how I feed my family. So it's fun for us to like, it's fun to stir the pot, right? Like you want you want to have, I want that thing to kind of come out. I want people to have conversations about, um, you know, those, those hard things, you know, we talk a lot about baiting and and still about crossbows and about, you know, uh, you know, different, uh, legislation that's proposed. That's, that's kind of a central theme to our podcast because it's, it affects the future of hunting um, which, you know, obviously we care a lot about. And so, so I think, uh, regardless of what side you're on, you know, it's important to have those conversations and like, you're right. That's a downfall of TikTok and Instagram. The short form clips is that like, it's like reading a book title. You can't necessarily get, uh, all the context of a, of a two hour conversation out of a, you know, a 30 or 60 second, um, clip. So, but that's just, is what it is.
0: Yeah. And, and the thing is like, I I think people put too much weight on, what people say or like you know judge them as a person and like yeah. you know, for example, you and I are we're humans. We're gonna say stupid shit sometimes. all the time. Like that is just that that is the nature Most of, of stupid it. Shit, yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes things come to my head and I just say it without thinking enough about it. And that's the yeah, way I've that that's the way that, that it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the way that it is. And like I think that makes it feel more like I mean, when I'm at Deer Camp and I'm sitting around there, my family members, my friends that are there. I can probably count 20 times in one night, I'll hear something somebody says that I think is stupid, you know, like, that's <laughs> just the way, cause we all have opinions on things. Yeah. It doesn't mean I don't like but them,
1: especially in a hunting, like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah.
0: Think about how, how many times,
1: you know, your, your dad or, or whoever's been like, oh, I, you know, <laughs> yeah, dude, I the, the list is <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, I, not stupid, but just things that I disagree with, right? Like hunting, yeah. People, it's not a, it's not science It's an art and it's it's a strategy and everybody does it a different way. So it's like, it's hard to get along with, with people when you're sharing, sharing a woods together, you know, especially.
0: Yeah, no, it most definitely is. But I think it's still, like you said, is important to bring up those, those hard topics and, and your, you know, your mind might shift on things. And I know my mind shifts on things over time as I get more information, you know, not, I don't always have, you know, all the information if I'm talking about something and it doesn't mean like, yeah, you're like, oh, you should know everything before you talk about it. Nobody does. Like, I'm not sitting there telling you, like, this is how to do something and this is the only way because this is 100% right. No, this is just where at my point in my life and based on my experiences, this is where... I believe this works, for example, and that's that's how that how I look at it, and and I take that with a grain of salt with anybody and any information that you're getting. And I think if you're not changing through time, then that's more of a problem than just like you know digging your heels in the dirt and just being like this is right because I said this 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, (laughs) uh, on a like a sentence to sentence basis, like you have to be totally open to. You know, I think like, uh, you know, narcissism is one of the greatest like traps, like, uh, you know, or, or preventers of growth in a human being. It's just like, if you're, if you're never wrong, then you're never learning, you're never growing. And so I don't necessarily know where mine came from, if it, whatever, just throughout my experiences, like I, I've become like just the opposite. Like I'm the, I'm the first to admit, even before I say something like, Hey, I'm, I'm probably wrong about this, but, but I'm going to propose the idea so we can at least discuss it. Um, and that happens all the time. I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite things about our podcast and the conversations that we have is that I can go into them having already, uh, you know, cleaned, you know, wiped my hands from having to be the expert on something. Like I'm going to be the guy that asks stupid questions. Cause like, I, I want to know, and I know there's people in our, in our audience that like are want to know also, but like people are afraid to ask the question and stuff. Um, yeah. and so there's been all kinds of topics that like, I thought something I'm like, well, you know, whatever it is, I, you know, I feel this way about something. And then somebody would propose how, how that might affect something else that I hadn't considered. Um, I it all the time. Like I do, I don't know even close to, to everything. Right. And so it's like, I'm, I'm excited when somebody proposes something else and I'm like forced to, to question my own belief about that. And, but at the same time, you can't just believe everybody because everybody's wrong about a Lot of stuff, like, I mean, look at the world that we live in. Like, I just can't believe how blindly people will follow, um, politics, our you know, our, our government, like, you know, leaders. Like, look, look how frequently people are wrong. All like, everybody has been wrong, you know. Look at uh, whatever, dude. I mean, medicine, politics, literally, every single thing that's ever been like decided on has been wrong at some point. Like, you know, we look back and we're like, oh. Whatever, like we shouldn't have uh, been putting this uh, shampoo on our babies. We found, you know, causes cancer and like all this stuff. It's like, dude, people are wrong all the time, even and especially experts under pressure to like to give an answer. And so, you know, while I think you need to, you know, be open to being wrong, you also need to realize that everybody could be wrong.
0: Yeah. Question, and, and question, right? yeah, question everything. Yeah, and question everything. Yeah. And that's what's cool about being able to do like the podcasts and stuff like, you know, I've I've grown up hunting in Pennsylvania my entire life and I've had a style of hunting that that I've believed in because I've learned it from my dad and my family that's been successful. But by doing this podcast, I've opened my mind to so many different different styles and thoughts and ways of looking at sign differently. And it's helped make me better. Do I take everything? So if I asked you about like your your specific hunting strategy for an area, do I take 100% of what Jared does and apply it to my situation and switch? No. But if I can take two percent of that and apply it and it helps it's like and it's the same thing with taking in any information like if you can get something from yeah. it you know I, I read a lot of books and but i don't like take something say for example tim ferris says and follow it rule by rule through every single step i might take one piece out of that and apply it to my own situation that makes sense
1: yeah yeah Question <laughs> everything. And yeah, I mean, dude, that's, that's what, you know, that's how you get better. It's like you learn from, and the main thing too, man, is like make an assessment of people. Like I think uh, pe- people just will follow blindly, like, pe- you know, people they've never met and people that are, you know, in our industry, whatever people who put out a, a show about how to do X, Y, Z. And it's like, you know, I can look at that as with some ex- personal experience and say wrong, no, 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 not how I would do it. And so, I think as you're opening yourself up to criticism um, and, and like learning from other people, like you should vet them, right. You should, you know, ask yourself, like, is that somebody that I, I want to be like, or that I, you know, in, in any, uh, you know, facet, if, it, if it's deer hunting, if somebody that's like, it should be a successful deer hunter, It'd be somebody that like uh, has done things that you would aspire to, uh, you know, to, to also do, you know, don't just like, you know anybody and everybody it's like, "Oh, this guy said that I should do some guy made a comment on my Facebook page. I should do that like
0: no, you know yeah no you're 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 spot on it's like you know like for example, me and you, we hunt a lot of different places for the most part. It's like you know, taking something that I say from hunting in the big woods and applying it to an area that you hunt as like the rule is not probably the best option. You know, it's like finding people like when you're looking for information, I guess what I'm saying is that kind of fit like you said like fit your style or what you want to do or the type of areas you hunt and because there is there is so much information out there anybody can click upload anybody can use their iphone and do a video and and sound s- smart in it it's like and it's it's not not saying that everybody's you know full of shit but at the same time it, well,
1: that's the, that's the censorship conversation yeah and and it's a double-edged sword because it's like man I, i'm i'm 100 percent an advocate of of complete you know freedom of of voice like anybody i think anybody should be able to upload and there's parameters yes like you get into extreme like pornography with kids on certain platforms like i get it yeah but you know if if you're gonna limit free speech in any way shape or form you have to you're acknowledging that like somebody is an authority in some degree to be able to vet
0: whatever's being put out there and it's
1: just like you know to my point earlier it's like who do, you, who do you trust to make that decision?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Who, who is the one that's going to say this is uh, an authorized authority? You know, this is an authority in this right. space right. that deserves to be able to have that. And it, look, and look at where we are, dude. I'm sorry to cut you off. Like in a post-COVID
1: era, like has there ever been a greater example of like the leading authority on like, you know, health in the United States? You know, look at where we are. Right. Yeah. And it's like, they it could not have been more wrong. Um, and, and not that there weren't some right decisions that were made along the way, but it's like, you know, dude, if you're not like, if your mind is not open up to like think for yourself in today's day and age, um, like on that big scale and, and also like in a scale, like you said, just going into the woods, it's like, that's, you're missing something.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, but kind of, kind of shifting gears a little bit here. I kind of skipped over kind of your background. We talked about a little bit as far as business, but you know, you're from Pennsylvania, which is kind of how we linked up at first when our mutual friends Allie DeAndre and Nick Berger were there. Came to me and were like, "You need to meet these guys." Dude, is that how? podcast?
1: Yeah, they were we like, had, "Dude, we we had Nick and Allie on a podcast in person for four hours two days ago. It's dropping. Oh, tonight. really? It's dropping tonight. I think. Yeah." <laughs>
0: Oh no way! That's that's so we crushed a whole bottle of uh, like whistle pig or something. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Uh, they're they're such great people too. Like yeah, they are. I I love them. They, they every at least once a year they'll either come to my house or I go to their camp and like we just have a night where we drink make some good food and just hang out and have a good time last year Allie and nick came to my house and i had killed a bear in montana so she's very good at cooking stuff so she like cooked up these bear tacos and we had a bunch of good food and yeah. and whiskey and a whole bunch of other stuff and she so. wrote
1: she wrote a whole cookbook um, uh, she, she's, it, she's published, you know, she's getting ready to release it here. Like later in the, in the summer, it'll be like Barnes and Nobles, you know, any, any, like a, a publisher picked it up. So she's got a, a real cooking book coming out. I know. And
0: I'm so pumped about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People like are needing help she, with she that. She said it stuff. openly on our
1: podcast the other day. So I, I don't think it's, uh, it's a secret anymore, but.
0: Yeah, I knew yeah, she they had told me about it like uh I don't know a while back that it was going to happen. I just wasn't sure when it was when it was coming out. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. But anyways, they were the ones that like said, you know, I need to meet you, you know, they were just like I've you know, Allie was like I've met a bunch of different people and I just feel like you guys would get along well and, you know, I think it would be a cool conversation and I believe that's how somehow I don't know if that actually led to us meeting, or if you guys had just reached out to me. Either you or Jeremy—I don't remember—and it just happened to be that way. But, anyways, you're, you're Pennsylvania boys too, so I wanted to kind oh, yeah. of hear your your background, like as a kind of a hunter, and like where that's taking you now.
1: I, I don't know if you're gonna love the end result of it, uh, as far as you know, the, you know, where I choose to hunt and stuff. Now I've kind of like. Uh, I don't know if the word is, is, is high graded or like, I just really, you know, I know what I want out of a whitetail hunting experience. And like, I've been fortunate to have some opportunities to do it out of state. Um, and I, and I choose to to do that quite a bit now in today's day and age, but, um, you're right. So I was actually born in Rochester, New York. And, uh, just for whatever reason, my, my dad had a job up there at the time and, uh, but, but moved back here when I was like three years old. So I've, I've lived here my entire life. And, um, I mentioned, uh, so as far as like my, my deer hunting influence, I guess, um, I don't know, man, it's it's probably very similar to, uh, to, to yours or, you know, a lot of like Pennsylvania guys is like my dad had a, had a bow and, uh, I I can't remember what it was. It was just one of those old, like, it seemed like they were all the same back then. I don't even know what, what the brand was. Um, you know, no big cams or anything like that. Just, just a bow. Right. And there was yeah. aluminum shafts and, and, uh, he, he had been somewhat of a trapper too. So like we always had, I can remember growing up, um, you know, we always had like, there was, a, there was like 40 or so, uh, like conibear muskrat traps, like hanging from our, our basement down there. And he had some, like some ones, ones and a half. So, like he was a, a muskrat trapper, you know, when he was in high school and college and stuff. And so, so we had that stuff around and like my, in my, you know, we always did, uh, you know, my dad and my uncle and my, and my grandpa would always do like opening day of, of gun season. And, uh, I can't honestly remember like if my dad did any bow hunting before that, I mean, he, he must've, cause he, he had the bow. Right. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't really until, I don't know, I was, i I probably was, like, 9, 10, like, when I started, like, to to kind of, like, understand that those guys were going out for opening day of gun, and, like, I I couldn't go. I wasn't old enough. So, like, in Pennsylvania, you have to be 12 years old um, to to go hunting. And so I would just, I was just observing. Like, they would go. I'd be excited for them to come back. Um, At some point, my dad started taking me on some duck and goose hunts. Um, my mom grew up on a farm in Eastern central Ohio that, uh, her, her, you know, my grandparents on, on her side still owned. Um, it, a lot of it was leased through like base camp leasing. So there was like, we, we didn't really have access to any of it, but it was there. And there was this lake and my dad would take me on duck and goose hunts as I was getting older. And so like, you know, I, I was exposed to it. I, you know, I definitely, and then somewhere i started catching on to like the outdoor channel and i would you know i could start to watch like michael waddell's bone collector and well
0: i'm shooting a new bow this year and i am pumped after playing around with the buddy's hoyt rx8 the smile on my face made the decision for me the first thing i noticed with the new hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like i prefer I outfitted my own RX 8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one, it's the Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that. In addition, The integrated kickstand within the HBX exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt. Ground hunting or spot and stalk just got easier. If you want to experience what I'm talking about, head to your nearest Hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself. You can learn more at Hoyt.com. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other. It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. You know, I don't really remember else
1: who else was on at the time. You know, Shockey and uh, you know that uh, that era of, of guys. Um, and my, you know, just my passion for it started to, uh, my interest, I should say, started to grow. And I was like, you know, I've got I've got all these things around me. I would try to draw my dad's bow back in the basement every once in a while. Um, I think my my main influence as far as a uh, you know, getting into bow hunting, white tail deer, um, was, was my uncle. So that's my, my dad's brother. And, uh, he lived about two hours North of us. Like I said, in, in, I think it's Crawford County, like Meadville area, Pennsylvania. Yeah, And, uh, he had always been, I mean, he was like, he was a diehard, you know, he'd been bow hunting since, uh, whatever high school, college, um, had progressed all the way through, you know, killing, uh, the basket racks and, you know, to, to want to, to shoot, mature deer for that area or, or bigger, you know, biggest antler deer he could anyways up there. And, um, in Pennsylvania spotlighting is legal. I think, uh, I don't think during the season, but, uh,
0: you know, during the summer, I'm not actually sure what the regulation is. We don't do it much anymore, but just, uh, just outside, you can't during rifle seasons. So you can, you can still during archery season, as far as I know. Yeah.
1: Okay. And I know you can't have like a weapon in your, in your car and stuff. And so, um, but I can remember when we'd go up to visit my, my grandparents and stuff who lived up there as well, that was like, my uncle would always be like, "Uh, all right, dude, like let's sneak out and go and we'll go spotlighting. And that was like my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, cause you know, I really looked up to my uncle, you know, he was like, you know, who who doesn't, you know, my, my cool uncle. And like, we would sneak away from the dinners that I I didn't want to like really be at anyways and go, go look for deer. Like I was, it was awesome. Um, And I I just, I I don't even know, you know, uh, how big these deer were. But at the time, I was like, there's these giant bucks, like, and it was just like, you know, and uh, I I think that that had a really big impact on me wanting to uh, just just in terms of like fueling my, my interest. In, in, deer, especially, um, and not necessarily in bow hunting. Like I, di- I didn't really know yet, but I was like, I, I want to hunt like when, you know, and so when I turned 12, um, my dad had bought me a, a bow, I think, um, I, think I had like a PSE, you know, s- something or other. Um, I've been going to the same bow shop right here in, uh, in, uh, Delmont, no, in, uh, Holiday Park, Pennsylvania It's called ultimate outdoors. They've been there, I mean, since I was 11, 12 years old, I got my first bow there and I've, you know, they've set up countless bows for me since. And so Tim and Jason down there, I've, I've you know, fortunate enough to have a good bow shop to go to. That's something everybody should, should try to find. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I mean, I mean, dude, that was, that was like, you know, where my interest kind of was sparked and like my, my uncle was a big influence with that as well. And like, it, you know, it's hard to say, so much has changed. I'm, I'm 30 years old now. Um, that farm that I mentioned, um, that, that my mom had grown up on, uh, the leases have all expired on that. My parents actually, uh, purchased a good portion of that farm, sold the house that I grew up on and they live out there now. Um, and mm. so, so that's only about two hours from me here where I live just South of Pittsburgh. Um, and, and I mean, dude, I just don't have any opportunities here in the state that, uh, are better than what we have out there. Um, uh, you know, so every chance that I get, you know, that, that was kind of, I think they bought that farm from my grandparents like uh, seven or eight years ago, maybe more now. And that was like kind of the, the, the start of, Uh, my ability to like uh, operate as a landowner, essentially, even though my my parents own that, you know, we started to be able to invest in a piece of property that was like, it's private land. You know, we can do, we can run mineral out there. We can plant food plots. We can, you know, we can have trees, you know? And so at that, at that time I started like diving deep down, like the Midwest whitetail. That's when they were picking up like 2011, 2012, um, I was like, I was all in on like this, this landowner, like land, uh, whatever, what's a manager yeah. aspect side of things. And, um, yeah, it's it's hard to, hard to say, you know, now full circle, I, I've even, I've backed off of that a little bit, like with our exposure to like, um, other opportunities and other States and, you know, and, and, you know, public land still is a portion of that. And like, so the Ohio farm is, is a big, big part of um, of my passion today and like where I choose to spend most of my whitetail season. But, um, like I said, our podcast has given me some perspective on first of all, how fortunate we are to have that property over there and the opportunities that affords us, but also to, um, you know, what else is out there?
0: Yeah. I'd go out and try different things. And no, I think, I mean, I think it's so important for people to understand where they're at in their hunting their hunting career if you want to call it that and like and what their goals what they want to do or what they enjoy doing like i know from you you enjoy chasing big whitetails. like you want uh, to hunt big old white tails and that's awesome like i don't think and if pennsylvania doesn't offer that then to have enjoyment by going to ohio and going to kansas and these other places that you've been to like i think that's awesome too Yeah,
1: well, it's not that Pennsylvania doesn't offer that. It's just that, you know, I don't necessarily have the access to do it. Um, You know, and to take a step back, you know, I'll comment on your, you know, my passion being to hunt these mature bucks. Um, It's interesting how, like how everybody has kind of their own journey, uh, like in that direction. It it does seem like for a lot of people, that's kind of where, where it ends up if they're afforded the opportunities along the way. Um, not everybody ends up there or necessarily like has to get there. It's not like that's, you know, that's the end, the end of it by any means. But, um, so I mentioned that my uncle, uh, you know, was, it was a big bow hunter, you know, and he's, uh, uh, you know, he's, uh, almost 60 now, you know? And so, and so he had like, he had kind of gone through that journey himself, you know, in whatever the the seventies, eighties, nineties. Um, I guess even into the, to the early two thousands, you know, he's like, uh, he's been kind of figuring that out for himself. And so him being, a a, a, a a you know, primary influence for me, um, I kind of picked up where he left off. Like, dude, I don't, um, I didn't really have a phase where I was like shooting a bunch of, of basket rack deer, like, like a lot of guys do. A lot of guys have to kill a lot of deer before they decide that they're like, okay, well, I'm going to. I want to start to to increase on that. I want to, start, you know, bigger, older deer for whatever reason, dude, I just, I never had that. Like I, uh, the smallest buck, and this is not like a, not a, uh, I'm not, uh, bragging at all. Like it just, it just is what it is. Uh, the smallest deer I've ever shot was like a, a two year old. It was the first buck I ever shot. It was like a two year old, hundred and hundred hundred and fifty hundred and hundred, 150 inch, like, like eight or nine point. Uh, at, which at the time for yeah. me was giant buck, you know? it was like late November this year, come trotting up under my stand. I was like, it was a complete mess in the standing. And it was like, it was one of the <laughs> things where it was like, I couldn't believe I finally killed, you know, this I've been hunting for so long. And I, it probably wasn't until I was, I don't know, six, 16 or 18 years old. Like I had hunted years before I successfully shot and killed a buck with my bow. I I'd killed like a few other does. My first year I ever shot was like with a 30, 30 Marlin. Right. And, um, but, but so from that two-year-old, um, I was just like, okay, it's now it's gotta be bigger. And the next one I shot was several years later, you know, and i probably missed some along the way, blue opportunities and stuff. But from there I, I killed like 130 inch three-year-old and same feeling. I was like, that's, this is the biggest buck I've ever killed. I remember when it came in, I just, I couldn't believe how big its antlers were. I was like, yeah. this, it's just insane. I killed it at 15 yards, you know, brought, uh, just broadside. He wheeled around me 30 yards and, and crashed over there. And it was like, it, same feeling. I was just elated with that deer. Um, and I just was like, okay, now, it, it, you know, and it continued to progress. So like, I just, I, there never was a time where I, I was, I was killing like a whole bunch of deer and there's, you know, in some ways I I suffered from that. It's like, I'm not as experienced of a killer as somebody like a, like a Ben rising or, you know, somebody that came up through that age where it's like, you know, they were just whacking, whacking everything, you know, there's guys are good at killing. Um, and and so I maybe suffer a little bit in that regard, but I just, we talked about this a little bit, you know, even just last week with Allie is like, you know, we were talking about what what kind of deer uh, and, and Nick, you know, we're trying to harvest and, and dude, the reality that like I've kind of faced is that just, I just, I don't like killing stuff, you know, it's, it kind of, it, you know, it's, it breaks my heart, you know, it's like, I just, I have so much respect for, for those animals, all animals, um, that I just like, I can't bring myself to, to kill an animal that isn't like, uh, you know, isn't to the standard that I've, I've set out for myself. I'm like, man, if I'm going to bring myself to kill an animal, you know, it it really needs to be special. It needs to be what I went out there, you know, to, to to do. Um, and and so I try to like, I guess, I don't know, honor the, the animal in that way, but it, it also helps me keep my standard. And so like, you know, I don't have 15, 20 bucks on my wall. Um, but I can tell you, I've passed a lot of deer that a lot of people want to shoot would have shot. Um, and I'm happy to do it. You know, I'd rather that animal have another chance, you know, or even if I know the neighbor's going to kill him, I just, you know, I'm fine with it. I just, it's not, not an animal that I want to kill.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to recognize within yourself if you're able to be okay with that. You know, I think some people tell themselves that they're okay with, you know, passing something and then get mad, you know, if they don't at the end of the, the year and they don't have something and like, especially someone that's getting new into hunting, that can be a deterrent from them to keep going. Cause they don't, they don't taste that blood or they don't feel that success for lack of better terms, but yeah. to be able to do that. But when you have, you know, it sounds like with your, your mindset and you were just like determined, like, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm setting these standards and I'm holding to it. And I just, I have a ton of respect for, for you to be, for being able to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's not all it's cracked up to be necessarily. <laughs> I, mean, dude, I, there's, I, I've eaten a lot of tags and like, you know, I've blown, I've blown a lot of opportunities. Um, and it's just, you know, h- hunting for me is a, a lot more failure than it is success. Um, I mean, literally dude, I think, uh, one, two, three, four, you know, I, I've maybe killed in my entire career. And again, I'm a 30 years old and I've had some, some great opportunities to hunt out of state, um, like, like maybe five deer over four years old. And, um, you know, the reality is that was, that's just, that has been my standard. You know, I was like, I'm just not gonna, I'm not going to kill something that, that I don't think is four years old or older. And and even today, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm passing some four-year-olds, you know, and I want to see these deer at at five years old. And, um, that's totally okay. Like if people aren't doing that, I just, um, uh, it just is what it is. You know, I just, I just don't want to kill three-year-old deer and and anymore. I'm like, I just don't want to kill for I think the end of that, like, and I kind of answered it earlier. Is like, I just don't want to kill deer unless it's like, unless it's the one.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's important to recognize like like you were saying and what was you, you guys had done a podcast with somebody and I apologize. I don't remember the, the name of the guest, but they were talking about the actual statistics of people that shoot, uh, mature yeah, yeah, deer.
1: Ensure, yeah.
0: Yeah. What, what was that statistic? Cause it was really wild to me.
1: Uh, do you something remember like, uh, less than 15 or 25% of all deer hunters will ever kill a deer over 125 inches or something like that. Yeah. Which, uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if that's, if that is correct or not, but I mean, it sounds, sounds right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it it is, it is wild, but just showing like how difficult it is to hunt, you know, mature animals and, and have those opportunities. Like it's, it's hard, you know, I mean, I spend a, I spend a lot of time in the woods and now it, yeah, I'm sure different locations and everything's a little bit different, but like I spend a lot of time in the woods to have a couple opportunities a year at something that is a, is a mature animal.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's all relative. Right. And so like, yeah. what you and I think is a lot of time or what you and I think is like a, a good area, you know, like the reality is like, if you go out to the Midwest during a rifle season, like, you know, if you don't kill 125 inch deer, like your, your eyes are closed, like they're everywhere. Like it's the easiest thing, you know, it's, it's easy. Um, not necessarily the case here in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, it's, uh, the age structure is just, you know, there's here in pennsylvania there's just there's way more hunters you know we have like the second or third highest uh hunter density in the entire country um the average average private land parcel size is you know smaller than it would be if you go out to ohio or you know the further midwest you go the bigger tracts of land you get all that you know weighs into uh age structure and ultimately antler size and uh and opportunity you know so in pennsylvania um Th- that statement is not necessarily true. You know, it, it, it might be pretty challenging to go out even with a rifle, um, to kill 125 inch deer. There just aren't as many of them. There's, there's more people out there hunting them. Um, so, so it's all, it's all relative. Um, you know, but you know, I've, I've realized that and, uh, I'm not one of those guys who's like, I just want to kill the best deer I can with what I have. I want to expand what I have. I'm going to work hard to kill the biggest deer that I can. And if that means, you know, traveling out of state to do it or, um, you know, or whatever, like within the bounds of, of you know, what I feel is ethical, um, that's, that's what I'm going to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's super important for people to understand because like you look at like a state like Pennsylvania and if your goal is to shoot 150 inch deer every year, this probably isn't the state that you should try to do that. Are they out there? Yes. But is that where you're going to have your best odds? And this is where like I I hate and I, I've said it multiple times on the podcast here in the last year, but I absolutely hate when people look at people that have great opportunities from a land perspective or places to go and look down on them because they don't have those opportunities. And because in my opinion, those people work just as hard, if not harder to get those opportunities. It's just in a different way. It may not be that they scouted 7,000 acres of land to find this buck, but they may (laughs) have to have worked harder to monetarily be able to do that or to be able to access it. And it's all work in its way. And it depends on what your goals are and how you align that to be able to do it. Like, you know, for example, I, I primarily hunt public. I hunt some private. I hunt whatever. I, I'm an opportunist <laughs> when it comes to, to being able to do that. But you'd be... I'd be kidding myself if I didn't tell tell you that I didn't want to own a big piece of property someday and be able to manage it and hunt deer by doing it in, in it that does. form. Every, yeah. And I, I think you know, I, I don't hold myself on a higher stand, or like a pedestal and be like, Oh, because I'm doing it here, then that means that I'm better than this person. That's not it. Like I, I think each area has its own skills that come involved. And sometimes those skills involve being able to make the money or be able to make the connections to be able to, to get that access and to be able to do that. And, you know, I, I talk, I talked to Lee Ellis about it multiple times where it's like, Dude, I don't want to do what you do and knock on 200 doors in a in two weeks to try to get access to property and find these big deer. To me, that sucks, and I want nothing to do with that. I would rather walk thousands and thousands of miles and try to figure all this stuff out than than have multiple, 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 multiple uncomfortable conversations and trying to figure it out that way. Like that's just the way that I am, and I don't like. I, I don't know. That's just that's something that that I I'm very passionate about that. Like when depending on people's situations, they they've worked to get to that point very rarely. And if someone was given something and they just are able to have it and it just works out, who gives a shit? Like (laughs) it is what it is. It's not your situation. So move on.
1: Yeah. I mean, dude, uh, I don't know. The baseline of that conversation is like, life's not fair. Um, not everybody has the, the 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 privilege of of owning land you know whether you've uh you know worked hard your whole life to to buy a piece or you know inherited a piece of a family ground like it's just it's all over the board in terms of like who has access to what um and yeah you you can't really blame somebody um for what they have necessarily Um, it isn't fair in a lot of regards. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that maybe are are more passionate are way better hunters who don't have the access that some some people do. Right. And there's, there's lots of bad hunters that kill booners every year. Um, it just comes down to access, right? You know, be open-minded to the idea that like, again, relatively, you know, killing a mature deer is not the hardest thing in the world to do. Like if you're hunting where they are, uh, and and you, you do it long enough, like inevitably it will happen. Um, on the other hand, undoubtedly people that don't have that access, you know, that that have to struggle more, you know, on public land, on smaller permission, on, you know, on whatever, and they're being successful in, in that realm, uh, undoubtedly that person could go to where big deer are and, and kill them. Um, you know, it's just like training uh, for something, you know, harder than uh, overtraining for something, right? Like, so like when I'm training for a mule deer hunt, um, you know, I've got a frame pack that I put a hundred pounds in and I go to, you know, I go to Planet Fitness and I get on a stepper for 25 minutes. I know a, a mule deer between two people doesn't weigh a hundred pounds. I'm, I'm overtraining for it. But the reality is that, I train so hard doing that, that when I go and I actually do the meal deer hunt, it's, it's, it's pretty doable. Right. And, yeah. and so the same kind of would apply to like, if I'm hunting in extreme scenarios of like, you know, overpressure, you know, little, you know, uh, struggling age, 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 structure, you know, whatever it is. And I go out to an area that's like, has abundant opportunity, your chances of success and
0: doing so, uh, relatively easily is, is pretty good. Yeah. No, no. That, that 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 totally totally makes sense and and uh yeah, I I just I don't know. That's just something that's been been on my mind for a while now and I just hear that stuff and it's just like I I don't understand it. And you know, like I've even I've even like thought about it from my own perspective and it's like, you know, like sometimes I get opportunities based off of what now with having you know working in the hunting industry and having people that i know that give opportunities to me to be able to go hunt these places and like i remember at the beginning i'd be like i felt bad about it like oh not everyone has this this isn't you know but it's like if i want to do it and i'm just transparent on this is what it is then why does that matter like (laughs) it 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 shouldn't matter and uh i I, had it was you want yeah. to have the best hunting opportunities possible
1: yeah yeah it's dude it's it's weird you know because everybody, everybody wants to um i don't know i think people want to justify another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDST. Uh Just being content with what they have, which, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that um, in terms of like, you know, hunting where you have to hunt or or hunting with the time that you have to hunt, but you also can't get mad at somebody for, Sacrificing for for more, um, you know, and so like I I think it's it's interesting you bring up like the 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 land ownership like everybody like to own land and um, you know, or or hunt on on private land and it's like yeah dude I I take that approach as well like and maybe maybe to an extreme like to, to a fault but it's like dude I will I'm not just okay you know, I'm trying to think of what I have here. You know, there's, there's public in Pennsylvania, like what my opportunities would be otherwise. Uh, I'm not just okay with that. Like I'm not, I'm not okay with just like the opportunities that I have. And so I, it, it, I mean, in almost every avenue of, of my life, you know, finances, like the, the, the careers that I've chosen, like, um, I, I've kind of like, I've done so with my desire to bow hunt giant white tail deer, it, uh, in the back, or in some cases in the forefront of my mind, I'm like, listen, I need, I need to produce X amount of money. I need to have X amount of free time during, you know, the, the fall season to be able to, to do these things. And, you know, that's the sacrifice that like, dude, 95, 99% of people like won't make. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to kill bigger deer than everybody else. Cause everybody has different circumstances, but I'm going to give my be- myself the best, uh, the best chance that I can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, I was talking to Johnny Stewart about that, which I know, you know, Johnny, you know, and like, you know, we I've talked about it with him on here about like the sacrifices that, you know, he makes and decided like with his business that he's going to take off for three or four months when he could make a lot more money and be in a better place. But his goal is like, he wants to chase whitetails and well, like that's what every, like the people that, that I see some of the most successful ones, like, they are sacrificing a lot to be able to do that. And that's not everybody's willing to do that. And, and, and that's, that's the nature of the beast. Like we all have the same amount of time in a day, you know, to be able to, to do things. It's like, what are you willing to give up to get and just looking at a very, uh, uh, very black and white.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, every, everybody wants to like, everybody wants to shoot the big buck. You know, but when you start looking at what these guys are doing, who are doing it, it's like how, how much money goes into it, how much, uh, sacrifice of time, like whether it's with, with family or, um, I mean, dude, if you, you get right down to it, right. Like, so I'm 30 years old and my, and my wife's 30 years old too. My parents are asking us all the time. Like, what, what are you guys having kids, 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 you know, it's always coming up and like, I don't know, man, like, it, I'm not going to say that, like, I'm not having kids cause I want to hunt big gear, but like, certainly it's a factor like it's it's in my mind there. it's like man if i know if you know if i have to sacrifice that time for for kids it's like uh you know and, and it's to that extreme level of thinking that it's like uh you know you just uh it it is what it is you know there it's that's the reality of like if you have kid a lot of people that i know that have have kids um don't get nearly the time that i do to hunt um and i'm not saying at all they made the wrong decision or i made the right decision it's just it just is what it is um and that's maybe not forever either you know it's, you know our, our our minds could change here in the next couple of years or, you know circumstances could change but like for right now um it, it's it's killing big gear is is at the top
0: of the priority level. <laughs> yeah yeah and and unapologetically so like i don't think anybody should feel bad about like what their, you know, goals are or what they want to do and understand like, but you just have to understand the consequences that come with that. And that's just, that's the the nature of it. I mean, I, I'm, you know, in that boat now with, with me wanting to, you know, go and, and do this thing and have my own businesses and be able to be financially free and do this stuff like, okay, yeah, I can't. I learned that it was going to take me longer than probably everybody else in the typical timeline to have a beautiful house and be able to do like, you know, the traditional things in that timeline houses so, like, are ever rated dude. Yeah. Are you, are it's you like, you no, married? I'm not, you don't need a house. Yeah. and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, it's like I was like, "Oh, I'd rather have a smaller house and a little bit of land and like and then be able to to do some other things and yeah is that is that selfish from looking at it that way? Yeah, probably it is, but it's also it's also my life and the the way that I wanna make the most of it, and I've just seen so many people that decide that they they're doing something based on what others want them to do and that feel like they have to impress somebody of doing a certain thing. And, and again, I don't think either of us are saying that uh, the traditional path of going down things is wrong. And a lot of people are very happy in that. It's just like, I know for myself that I wanted something different and I I wouldn't be happy doing things the same way as everybody else. And that's, and I think that's important to recognize within people, but it's like, it takes a lot of sacrifice. Like I've, there's a lot of things that, that I don't have because of the things that I do have. (laughs) Yeah. Well dude, count yourself
1: lucky for, I mean, you're one of, you know, just a a small, uh, fraction of people who, who know what they want. I think it's like, it's, it's, it's weird to think about because it's so second nature. It's like, it's, it's like, it just hunting is in my blood. Like, you know, uh, everything that I do is like, I'm just, I was built for it. Um, there are so many people out there who don't know what they want out of life. They don't know like what they, what they want to do. Like there's, there's, I don't know, for whatever reason, they just never figured out what they like or like they, they just didn't decide to pursue it when they, when they did figure it out. And, uh, you know, those people end up just like, I don't know, you know, going With through the motions in life. Right. Like, you know, and I don't know. I mean, not, not, not the, uh, you know i have to be careful because pe- people have responsibilities you know and and, and uh you know kid, kids are a big one i, I can understand like dude if you're responsible for other human life like that better be your priority o- over hunting yeah uh, oh yeah
0: yeah 100
1: 100- <laughs> percent. yeah but i mean um f- for me right now like dude i i'm i feel so fortunate and i think you do too to, to like to know what i love to do and it's like, I, to the point where I just have this feeling where it's like, dude, if you're not bow hunting deer, like, what are you doing? Um, it's like kind of how I feel about it. And, and I realize other people have other passions and that's great. Cause like, you know, not everybody can, can, can be a bow hunter and, um, you know, there's there's not enough room in the woods, right. It, it wouldn't work. Um, but I certainly feel fortunate to have discovered what I love to do early on and to, and to have the opportunities along the way to pursue it wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah. and, and. And I think I should also put a little bit of an asterisk to what I said about some things because, like, if someone does, like you said, if someone has kids or they're doing that, like, I think that's amazing, and I think that 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 one hundred percent has to be the priority. That someone else's life, that 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 not not like that trumps deer hunting at that point. It's like. But, you know, when you're at that decision point on whether you want to go that route or not, you you have to be honest with yourself and understand that there's going to be giving up some time. That's a real thing. I don't think a lot of people like really will come out and have that conversation openly,
1: but it's like – and it doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean there's lots of people with kids that that deer – yeah, but – are you going to sacrifice for a period of time, uh, you know, your ability to deer hunt to to do that? Yeah, you absolutely. You are, you you better
0: be right. So that you can be a good, good parent. You know, they, they they deserve that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. And I, I always like when I, when we talk about these things, like I, I try to, you know, I want to make sure that I talk about like the, where I'm at and how I'm doing things, but like also put that, that caveat on there. That's like, okay, that's not not for everybody, and I'm also not demeaning anybody that chooses a different route. I just think that the whole point of this conversation is like, you have to be honest with yourself and what you want, and based off of the things that you have and what you're able to create, like, what do you want to do and how bad do you want it? And that's up to you to to be able to kind of make those those shifts. Yeah, it's your and life, dude. Like, yeah, like make, there good, was, make your decisions. There was a, a guy that came to our scouting, uh, the scouting camp that I hosted. And, you know, he was saying, like, and he was like, this guy, I, I love this guy. He was asking a ton of questions. And he's like, listen, I don't have a lot of time, got kids, have all this stuff. I want to learn to be efficient with this time. And that's what, you know, he was happy to be able to do. And, you know, he. You know was more towards certain people in the group that had limited time that were talking like that's where he gravitated towards, and that's that's awesome, like you know owning that like this is my situation, I'm gonna make the best of that situation and be able to to do that and and that's I think that's important too, like no it wasn't yeah. like. Wasn't like looking look. at me or you and be like, oh, those guys, just, the only reason they do that is because they have so much time. It's like, wasn't saying that it was just like, okay, this is what I have available. Let me make the most of it. Yeah. Well, and dude, I have a ton
1: of respect for, for, for that. Like guys that have those kind of commitments. I mean, guys that, that work nine to fives, like, you know, not everybody is like, you know, ha- has the opportunity, the ability or, or should, you know, Structure their entire life around like deer hunting. That, that probably shouldn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a ton of, even though I've kind of done it. I've got I've got a ton of respect for people that uh, whether they chose it or I mean, do people find themselves in circumstances like not everyone was everyone was born into the same uh, you know financial. Uh, you know, property access, like you know, all all these things. Like everybody's dealt a different card of hands, and like uh, t- to the point about kids is like, you not everybody makes a conscious decision. They're like, okay, now we're gonna have kids. Like it just happens sometimes, and that could happen to us. And like I, you know, we have to be open minded to that. Um, but my my point being is, I've got a lot of respect for guys who are like handling their responsibility and still finding time uh, to get out in the woods and, and to be successful with it. I
0: mean, that's it's it's uh, it's admirable. <clears throat> yeah it uh t- it totally is and yeah own it, owning it like okay, this is what happened, this is my situation, whether I wanted that or if i didn't, and owning it and being like what can I make the best out of that that particular situation and yeah. i just <laughs> I, I think that's uh yeah that's a it's a really good point to to be able to go off of there, but i don't know man i just i i'd almost I I do feel bad for people that don't have the passions about things like going back. Like I think hunters all have passions, but like sad, sad dude. I'm ate up by it. Like all the time, just thinking about deer and and different hunts. And like, I, I have a, a, a very serious, like drive to want to do adventure hunts all over, like going to Alaska this year, I'm hunting moose. And like, like that's, I have like this other side of me that just wants to go to crazy places and experience it. And if you had asked me 10 years ago, I never would have thought that was possible until I like opened my mind to it. It was like, all right, I'm going to need to get a lot of things in a line to make this happen. I don't, I'm not sitting here with an endless bank account or being able to do these things, but like, if I want to make that a priority, I'm going to have to do that and figure it out. And, uh, you know, I've been very blessed to, to be able to, to figure some of that out. I'm not saying I have it figured out, but to figure some of it out, to be able to have these opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You make it happen, dude. I mean, it's, I don't know. You just make it happen.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, a hundred percent, dude. Well, I know you have to run. You have a haircut appointment coming up. So. No, I don't. I can't. Oh, you don't? Oh, I'm you free. don't. I'm good. Okay. Dude. Well, okay. Well, there's, uh, there's one. Okay, there's, I, speaking of kids,
1: my, my, uh, my barbers had her kid this past weekend. So, I mean, I, she canceled <laughs> it
0: uh, Honestly, I should be the one that's probably going to get a haircut right now, but, uh, <laughs> I, you seem, uh, uh dude, mine was longer than yours a couple weeks ago. I, I know you got off. yours all cut off and now got you're going back again. <laughs> I'm about at that point. It's getting warm out. Like, so it's funny about the, the hair thing is like every, like, 1 to 2 years i grow my hair out long and i usually do it during hunting season and i used to make it a thing where i wouldn't sh- i wouldn't cut my hair until i killed a buck and that was always like my thing and i'd like start in the summer and sometimes it get longer than others because of uh how long it would take but i uh this i always had this like weird fear of they always say like you go bald based off of your mom's father's that like that side of the family right. and like my grandpa and my uncles on that side, they're kind of bald on the, on the top there. And my, my hairline like receded for a little while. And I was Who's like, it? really can, cons- let
1: me, see. <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell you where you're at. Yeah, you're doing pretty good. Yeah, you're doing pretty good. Uh, dude, my, mine came from my dad's side. My, my hairline looked exactly like my uncle on my dad's side to a T <laughs> really, yeah, Here's coming back here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, but anyways, I was like, I'm like, I'm gonna go bald at some point. It was like, I've had this in my mind forever. Yeah, you just I be, was you like, just deal with it. I'm like, I'm just gonna grow my hair while I can. You know, have this long. You know thing and then i'm realizing like maybe i'm not actually because my dad just like his like recedes up like a widow's peak and then like he's got a full head of hair on top so i'm like Mm -hmm. maybe that's just the route that i'm going so i don't know but that's what started with it i haven't had a haircut since last july not even a trim i mean just full out let it go from the point where it was like shaved on the sides and uh to to where it is now so it's uh it's getting pretty that long in, in one year yeah yeah that was a lot. Yeah. I yeah, didn't, uh, I didn't, I cut mine was buzzed. I had
1: long hair like in high school and then uh, I cut it when going into college. I, there was, for a long time there. I had it like, like it is now. And then uh, all the way through when I got married and then it was when COVID hit. I was just like, for whatever reason, I was just like, I'm, I'm just not going to cut my hair. <laughs> and uh, cause we were all like in the Hobbit phase. And then, so I didn't cut. So that was 2020. You know, twenty twenty, twenty one, twenty two. Um, so yeah, t- two and a half, three years, I guess. And it, yeah, I mean, it got long. I mean, mine was, mine was. I mean, mine was. You know, and I got it cut a few times, but but yeah, dude, I just I had way too much party in the back and not enough business in the front, and I, I had less and less business in the front by the day. <laughs> so eventually, I was just like, dude, let's just let's just take it off, you know. And and honestly, it was inconvenient to like, you know. I don't know. And it's, it's, it's minor, but I mean like carrying, it's like a scent wick going in the woods, you know, it's like there's always greasing your hair and stuff. And I was like, yeah, as cool as it looks hanging out of the back of my beanie, like I, you know, <laughs> I should be a little more scent conscious. And then also, you know, with, with our meetings with real estate clients and stuff is, you know, I, I try to look at least a, a little bit professional with, with as little effort as possible.
0: So, you know, short hair was the way to go for the time being. I've been like running into people that I haven't seen in a while, like in my hometown, and they'll be like, "Oh, like, like, oh, I didn't recognize you." Like, "Oh, like, like," kind of looking at me, like, "Oh, he let himself go." Like, he's <laughs> he's in tr- he's in trouble. He couldn't oh, go and mustache, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that could be it. <laughs> oh yeah. I haven't I haven't shaved my mustache in five years. Yeah, since the yeah. no, day I started I just, my... I've never had a yeah. strong uh, facial facial hair uh, jeans. It just doesn't work for me. So. <laughs> well, the reason why I did that is because I couldn't grow a beard. And all I could do was a goatee, and it just looked real trashy when I had that. And uh, and I'd always just have the mustache during the rut, and I called it the rut stash. like, well before I had the podcast and everything, like since I was out of college, it'd be like a little pencil stash and then get a little darker and a little better. what is that? It's that's a thing. Like, I, I
1: don't know what it is, but when
0: deer season starts getting
1: close, I just feel a desire to grow a mustache. Like, even though I can't grow a good one, I'm like, it just seems like the thing to do, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. It, it, I I don't know. In my, in my, uh, when I've been looking into it in the statistics, it increases your success by 37.2%. I mean, it's fact. That's no. what it does. See, no, you're
1: using the same approach as like the moon guide is if you only hunt when there's a red moon, then you're only going to kill bucks when there's a red moon. It's the same, it's the same <laughs> principle. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, I, it, I, I feel it too. I, believe me, I do want to grow it up. But I think it has more to do just with like, uh, I don't just, just getting into your root, your roots of manliness. You just want to participate in like uh, the, the deer camp uh, traditions.
0: Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I'll, we'll agree to disagree there. I think, sure it's, no. I think it's science, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> <No. It's> science. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so the last thing I wanted to, to ask you about was you had an experience of getting to hunt some big wood stuff last year. Uh, with mm. Steve Shirk, a uh, mutual friend of ours. And I just wanted to hear like what your thoughts were on, on hunting big woods like that, or if you had in the past, um, and if that, what that, what that experience was like.
1: Uh, yeah. So it was tough, man. We, uh, we hunted, uh, I don't know exactly where Steve's camp is at, but, but yeah, up North, you know, big woods, uh, you, do you know? Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's up towards the New York border towards the new york border and uh so so, yeah definitely a lot different than i'm i'm used to hunting so uh i mean you probably i don't know 60 80 percent of my deer hunting happens at our farm in ohio uh and and just for context it's uh it's transition ground you know it's like uh it's 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 between big ag pasture ground and what you would call you know big woods for uh for Ohio, which is is different than Big Woods in Pennsylvania. Like in Ohio, it's like Oak Ridges, Flats. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know, like a, a lot, a lot more. I don't know, more terrain. It's just, it's just different. Um, in Pennsylvania, it, it was like the the true feeling of like I, I, I don't know, felt empty, like empty giant yeah. <laughs> woods and not nearly as much wildlife in it. Maybe yeah. the way to describe. It. Um, and this is just, you know, limited experience. So like, you know, obviously yeah. there's more, you know, you, you could correct me here when I'm wrong, but so we were stoked, you know, we, uh, it was October like 18th, um, it's like right in, like what should have been that sweet spot. And we hit that, uh, a cold front, like it couldn't have been any better. Like I remember going up there, I was like, dude, we're going to crush them. Um, you know, all of Steve's cameras are on, uh, scrapes. And like, we had this big rain front come through and temps were dropping like 30 degrees. And it was like, I, I couldn't have uh, set the stage. I don't think any better, uh, at least from like, you know, a, a textbook, like, you know, sc- scrape hunt, scrape hunts. Um, and we had like uh, th- three or four days to, to to hunt, I think, three or four days. And uh, we actually went up a day early to catch that front right on it. So like the first time we got in a stand was like front had passed. Overnight, the night before temps dropped the whole morning. We were in it. We were in that high pressure, you know, bluebird day. Like they should have been crushing those scrapes within hours of us getting there. And, uh, so we drove up there, uh, Jeremy and I, and Jeremy's dad came with us. and there was like four or five other guys in camp, got to camp. Uh, actually, no, we we went straight to the stands that night. We, We went straight to the stands. So Steve kind of sent us some pins, like different areas had been checking out, um, His outfit is kind of like uh, he will hang stands for people, but I think he's trying to um, bring in more hunters who are able to like hang their own stands. I run a gun. It's just you know he covers so much ground uh, with with cameras and, and, and stuff that it's just it's it would be really difficult for him to drive an hour in one direction and hang a stand go forty five minutes in another direction. So I mean he's trying to I think bring in more guys that are more self sufficient. Um mm-hmm. so so we went out. Um I I I did just kind of a little bit of scouting on my way in. Uh I ended I ended up finding the camera that he dropped a pin for me and I I just determined that, you know, that seemed like the best spot for the stand too. There wasn't anywhere really that had better sign or anything. So hunted it that night with, with high hopes, uh, as did Jeremy and his dad and everybody else that had gotten to their stand and, uh, just, just didn't happen that night. So I, I decided to leave the stand. Um, I didn't see anything. didn't see anything that night. No, no deer. Um, left my stand in the tree that night, decided I was going to go back in the, that, that's, I love to do that. I, I hate hanging stands in the morning. Um, so if I ever have the opportunity to leave a stand overnight, I leave everything. I leave my bow in the stand, everything. It's, I, I climb up in a stand, I sit down, I'm hunting. Um, (laughs) as mobile as I am, I I really prefer that. I mean, that's, that's, that's nice. Um, (laughs) so, and I, and I, dude, I was hunting a big deer. I mean, he he was like an eight year old buck, uh, that's, he'd have all this history with. He was probably, you know, 145 inch, uh, type, type deer. I would have been elated to, to shoot him, you know, just knowing how hard it is to kill an old buck in Pennsylvania and stuff. And so, so I was hunting this deer and I was way out of camp. I was driving an hour, like every direction. And, uh, so I went back the next morning, same deal. Um, didn't, see a deer. Uh, and I just was like, uh, wanting to, to familiarize myself, I think with the area. I was like, well, I don't know, like maybe I'm missing something here. Um, I'm going to get out and, and, and scout the area. So I think I put on like 10 miles that day. I got down at like, I don't know, nine 10 o'clock. And I just, I did, I just walked, I, you know, I had, I was looking at everything on, on our maps ahead of time. I was like, I, I know where we need to look here. And I mean, dude, I walked 10 miles and didn't find anything better than where I was at. Um, uh, <laughs> just, just I, came, I I just walked all that and ended up right back in there. And, uh, we hunted the next two, three days. Um, I, I, I bounced around a little bit. There was like one or two other spots that I tried, but um, dude, I, I could be wrong about this. I don't think anybody saw a deer from the stand that week. Uh, and I just, and it was funny, like as that was unfolding, I was just kind of like realizing maybe my expectations were too high. Um, I was, I'm used to seeing, you know, deer every, when I hunt, <laughs> I guess, I guess, you know, and, uh, we just, uh, yeah, our sightings were far and few between, um, I think, uh, there was something happening at the, at that time. Um, just like, you know, a lot of guys in that area were, were running cameras and stuff and there just wasn't a lot of activity. They just didn't fire up from that front. Like we thought that they would. And in my opinions, they just, they didn't come out of, you know, the clear cuts or wherever they were at. There just was, or there was no need. Um, there's no acorns that year. <clears throat> it's like a really terrible acorn crop. Um, yeah, they're checking scrapes, you know, getting into that time of year, but there's no need to do that until after dark. So I just think that the deer I was hunting was was in a clear cut and he just he, he never came out.
0: Yeah, and and know what's funny is Steve and I did a podcast talking about our cameras and we we both, me him and my dad all did like like pulled all the data from those cameras and looked at it and the different dates and. I was like so set when you guys when you were coming up and I was texting you I'm like you're gonna hit it perfect like I would have bet all the money on it that you would have had a dynamite hunt and And they were
1: I mean I had confirmation so like my my farm in Ohio I've got like you know 15 20 cameras running on and sure enough bam 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 you know they're firing off and I'm like well we're we're here yeah
0: (laughs) well but I had I had similar similar like camera intel from those days and even I think I even hunted a day or those two of that where not a single deer and it was just like you know, sometimes you have those outliers in in areas that just didn't work out. And this past year honestly was a year that was the worst from a sign perspective that that I've had in the last five, six years. It was it was really difficult and it was just took a different different kind of approach to it and you know it was a dry year a lot of food was different um you know I think it changed bedding up because things like browned up quicker and leaves fell off and it's just like it was different that's all there is to it and and uh but it's not it's definitely not atypical to sit three or four days without seeing a single deer I mean when I when I uh when I killed my buck this year November 4th for Three or four days leading up to that, I never saw a single deer. That was the first deer that I saw. It just happened to be a four-year-old eight-point that uh, that I ended up shooting, and that's that's kind of the, the nature of it. And it's so hard to. Um, I grew up with it like that, so I just kind of like became used to it. But yeah. it's very difficult when you come from an area where there's higher deer densities, or even have the visibility to be able to see them, even visibility, if you're not great yeah, yeah. in the game. Well, well, I think it has to do with, and maybe you said that first deer density yeah yeah it's just like
1: it's hard to describe and i don't don't know if this is like the right comparison for it but it's like dude when i'm when i'm hunting like farm country um you know like like i mentioned our farm is a lot of like small brushy pockets you know and like hogbacks and field edges and it's kind of like you know trout fishing a small stocked stream it's like you know where they're at like you know it's like uh it's not really a mystery. It's like, you know, you, you, you know, you use the terrain and it's like, you're, you're gonna get eyes on them at the least. You you might not kill them, but <clears throat> you know, you can you can figure them out. You know, hunting the big woods to me was kind of like fishing a lake where it's like, and I don't have a, I don't have a radar. I don't have like a, the ability to see what terrain is down there. even, it's just kind of like, <laughs> you know, there, you obviously still are using terrain features and there's principles that apply, but it's like on a, on a way bigger scale. It's like, mm-hmm. it, maybe another way to say that it's like at my farm, everywhere there is habitat, there are deer and you just have to figure out how to hunt them everywhere. There's habitat in the big woods. It's like, there's probably still not deer there. You know, that, or at least like, as, <laughs> as frequently. you know, they're yeah. very, you know, they're, they're, they're very like, uh, they're where they're Matic. at or they're not where they're not. And that's just, that's different.
0: Yeah, no, definitely is. And And, uh, well, I hope you give it another chance sometime because it would be cool for you to see. Because sometimes, you know, when, when things do hit right, it can be really awesome. And, like, it makes those, like, days without deer just magical. Like, you know, there'll be days during the rut where uh, you know, go days without seeing deer and all of a sudden one hot doe comes through and then there's the only seven bucks in the county come running through. And it's just like you know things like that happen and it's just uh it's just such a different different scenario. Like even even me now hunting a lot in southern West Virginia and hunting some of that mountain country, but it's like big woods mixed with some coal Coal country. So there's some like open openness to it and everything, but there's the deer density is so much higher in the specific spot that I hunt. And it's like, it's freaking awesome. Like I love seeing deer. I'm like, Holy cow. I feel like I'm actually in the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's, don't it's uh, be careful. Cause you'll, uh, you'll never want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Oh, I know. I, I gotta be, I gotta be careful of that for sure. But have
1: you ever hunted bone like any farm country stuff or, you know, getting towards the Midwest?
0: Yeah, I've, um, so I used to have a small lease in Ohio that was like 50 acres at at some point. Um, let me think like near Canton, Ohio. Okay. So yeah. Northeastern kind of, yeah, Northeastern kind of. And yeah, it was just like, had a couple ag fields in there and some terrain and, and some timber. And it was like, it was, uh. But it was also it was funny when you're talking about baiting. I remember like that was the first time I thought that I just put up a feeder and then you just sit over it and you shoot a deer and that's just how baiting worked. I thought mm-hmm. that was not the case, uh, but like, but I just yeah. So I hunted there and I killed a couple bucks off of off of that piece during the rut. It was like there was an old strip like pond where it was like almost like a straight wall that went down. And then there was like 40 yards between the field and that straight wall. And it was like the deer have to travel through here at some point and just sitting there. And that's where I, where I had success. And then, um, I hunted Illinois early season last year, uh, with an outfitter, and, uh, yeah, so that was some farm country, but honestly, and then in college I went, when I, so I went to college in Slippery Rock and I hunted some public areas and some private that had permission that, that were farm country. And I'd killed a, uh, uh, like a two year old buck off of one of those pieces. But that was, that was really about it as far as my experience in farm country. Nice. I've got some farms for
1: sale in Slippery Rock right now. If you're looking,
0: do you, uh, I love that area. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice area.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, dude, if I can say anything about uh, in support of like big woods or, you know, public land in general over, you know, private land or, or farmland it's like, man, if you don't have a lot of access, uh, you know, on, on the farmland side of things it, 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 you know, maybe it's, it can feel really restrictive like, I can imagine if I only had, like, a four, like a 40-acre field with a, a, a tree line to hunt, like, I, I know what that feels like. And if I had to choose between that and, like, the freedom to explore, you know, public land or even, even in a big wood setting, it's like, um, I, I can definitely understand where the appeal to hunt a big wood setting for guys that maybe don't have a lot of, of private land access would come from. I mean, it's that's, it essentially affords you the freedom and flexibility to find them.
0: Yeah, and that—that's I love the most about is just like there's no restriction. Like to find the deer, I have the ability to do that. I just have to, you know, walk and go do that and find them and spread cameras out and do it. And like I just, and maybe because I've always had that open to me when I go to areas of small pieces, I just feel like anxiety almost that like I get it. I, I don't. I'm not in control unless you're able to actually manage it. But like, I feel like I'm not in control of like that piece that I had in Ohio. It was great during the rut because people were passing the the deer were passing through to go to the other farms where we're talking to the neighbors. They were dumping out like literally like truckloads of corn every day. And it was like, the deer seemed to be there. They just in the early season, late season, the food wasn't great on the property that I had access to. And it was, wasn't even really worth hunting, but during the rut they'd pass through there and it was great, you know? So it was like, but that was like super frustrating for me of like, I can't just go try to find them where they are at this time of year. And that's, that's not easy with those small yeah. pieces.
1: Maybe it's a better analogy than I thought, but like go back to my, you know, trout fishing a small stream versus the lake. It's like, yeah, dude. If you just go tromping through like uh, the trout stream and push all the, the trout out of their like little pockets, they ain't gonna be there. Like you're not gonna have any luck, you know. But if you're throwing the, the wrong lure out in a lake, you know, or whatever, like driving across it with a boat, it's not necessarily gonna mess you up as bad because like they're used to it. It's a it's a bigger environment. Like your your presence is having less of an impact, you know, in, in some regards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, dude. I think it's it's a great option for, um, you know, somebody looking to to stretch their legs and uh, you know figure a deer out in a big setting like that. I mean, it definitely gives you the freedom to do it.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's 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 exactly right, and it's it. Uh, that I like the analogy with the trout stream. That's kind of funny because I always the one thing I always think about with like, like public land where you have a big area and then private land. Like I feel like I can be more aggressive on public land, especially if I'm not hunting a specific deer is like, okay, you blow them out, you blow out an area, whatever you move on to the next. And you have five spots that you can go to where, okay, if you only have a couple locations where you can hunt on a piece of property, you probably got to be a little bit more careful on, on some of that stuff because you could screw it up for the, you know, the entire year or whatever. No doubt.
1: No, I think it's a different approach. I mean, I think, uh, I think you should be aggressive on public land. I mean, it's kind of a race against, uh, you know, other guys and, you know, whatever, the pressure is kind of on, whereas like in a, on a private land setting, or if you have a small acreage that only hunts certain times of the year, um, you know, you should really be way more strategic with your, uh, or, or limited, I should say in your, uh, you know, when, when you're actually hunting, you know, that's where you hear the guys are like, well, you know, I kill on the first, first time in or, um, yeah. cause, cause, you, know, you not only have the, 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 time and the ability to sit back and, and watch to be able to do that. Um, you know, but you, you also kind of have to, cause if you go in and pressure them off, you know,
0: you're going to, you're going to blow your one and only opportunity or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and two, like the one thing that, uh, my my dad brought up and it really like hit home when he said this, but he's like all the deer, you know, on public ground, like, even though you're not putting pressure on them and you're waiting for the perfect time to strike and do this how many other bird hunters are in there? People walking through the woods or other hunters that are like kind of going through and, and, and that's why, in my opinion, I do think that those deer will tolerate a little bit more pressure sometimes. And they just find good hiding spots and good bedding areas that allow them to slip out before they get, you know, in trouble. So like when I bump a deer, that's not the end of the world to me where, you know, I, I learned this when I was up in Alberta, which was, I guess that was farm country when I hunted up there. But Jim, I uh, was, the outfitter was like, Hey, you know, these deer don't have any pressure at all. So if they do get disturbed, they're freaked out. Like they're gone. Like they just, you know, freak out and you know, that's his opinion, but it was, it's, it's interesting when you look at deer and the environments and try to understand how, you know, they tolerate the pressure and how they'll kind of move towards it. And, and it's very area specific in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It was certainly a contrast to what I'm used to. Can I say it's
1: my, it'd be my first choice. Not necessarily, but I I can understand.
0: I, I, I could see myself back there at some point all right that's that's fair enough man <laughs> uh well jared i think uh, i think we'll wrap this one up here if uh if you want to tell everybody where they can follow along check out your guys's podcast and you whitetail property stuff whatever you feel like throwing out there yeah sure you just check out our
1: podcast it uh it's most of the handles i think are we are hunter or, or hunter podcast um and that's it if you're in southwestern pennsylvania you're interested in looking at uh some land. You can check us out at whitetailproperties.com or you can email me directly. It's Jared Prussia. It's J-A-R-E-D dot Prussia, P-R-U-S-I-A
0: at whitetailproperties.com. I'd be happy to help you out. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, dude. It was a good conversation. I enjoyed just talking about a variety of things and just kind of shooting the shit. Yeah, buddy. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. (laughs) Thanks,
1: man. All right. See ya.